How many of you have like high blood pressure right now after watching that? <laughs> I, I seriously was so stressed out and I thought it was funny because I mean, I'm thinking we're adding on to this walk up um, video that we have and I thought, well, if mine's slowing down, what if we did the sloths? And then Josiah sent me what he made and I was watching it on Friday and I seriously emailed him and I said, you've got to cut at least a minute out of this. Like, I'm having anxiety watching this. He goes, I think that's the exact point you're trying to prove, Allie, so we're keeping it. So, <laughs> but I mean, that's just how it is, is it not? I mean, we are always in such a hurry, always trying to go from one place to the next place to the next place, that if something doesn't go on our schedule, we are frustrated. We're sitting there, we're banging our head against the table. And if someone else isn't moving at our pace, we bite their heads off. We um, get angry so quickly. We tend to explode in a moment. But this is the world that we live in. Funny because we know that feeling, right? But it's true because it's the world we live in. So busy, it's what we do. Slow is not something that we're good at. It's kind of like saying, okay, how have you been doing? How are you? How are you? Oh, I'm busy. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I got a lot of things going on, all great things, but I've been very busy. Or how have things been with you? Oh, that's so busy lately. Oh my gosh, you wouldn't even believe all the things that I've been doing right now. I mean, it's busier than it's ever been. And you're thinking like, it was literally just that busy last week for you, but we'll not go there. And how many of you are thinking, I'm saying this because I've said them both. How many of you, raise of hands, feel like you are busy? Now, if you look around, we can nullify the answer. Everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. It might look different to other people, but we are all busy. Busy is the new it word. And many times we're not choosing between um, something good and something really terrible. I mean, we're having to make daily choices about what are the things that we have to do today. Between good and good, a lot of times, or good and better but we don't prioritize. Um, we tend to, we all have 24 hours in a day, right? We all have, what is it, 1,440 minutes? But the thing is, is that we try to get everything that we can get done in one day instead of time management, instead of priority management, we focus on our time management and a lot of things fall through the cracks. So we have no margin, and this is something that we talk about around here at Renovation. This is one of our values, to create margin in people's lives. One of the things we do, we take um, a Sunday off between Christmas and New Year's, and usually we take the, the Sunday off at um, 4th of July around that time because we want to give back to the volunteers, to the staff, for you guys to go out and spend time with your family and worship the Lord in a different way um, than just being here to go traveling or to stay home and spend time. We try to make this a priority, but it is so tough. Our life is made up of choices every day, in and out. It never stops. And see, these moments are small enough to ignore the importance, and yet they're big enough to change our lives forever. See, our decisions will eventually get us to our destinations. And a lot of times we end up at a destination that we were really not trying to get at. But we don't understand that it's the daily choices. But we don't have margin enough to put time into the relationships that we are in, to put time into the communities that we are in, to put time to serve in the church because we're just so tired. We're so tired all the time. We, we come in, um, even on church on Sundays, and sometimes you ask, like, please come volunteer in the kids, and you're like, I'm just tired. 
it, I need a cookie for getting here today. You know what I mean? Like we all have those Sundays. I have those Sundays. And then you're asking me to go and do something else. Like I have been working all week. Can I just sit here and take it in? But it's because we don't have margin the rest of the week that Sunday, our rest day, is to come in here and just say, okay, feed me. But we don't have margin outside of it. And I understand you go through times like that and it's absolutely you get a gold star for being here and a hug probably if you're around me, okay? I love hugs. Um, we go through those seasons, but if it's a continuation of always being exhausted, there's a problem here, and we have got to realize it. This thing called margin, um, what I best understand it is the space between the edge of a... My Bible's kind of broken, so... <laughs> going to fall apart, but the space between the words on the page and the edge of the book. So if you opened a book and the words literally went from the very inside to the end of the page, would that not stress you out a little bit? Like there's no, there's no space on the outside. I would look at it and be like, I'm not reading that. Like I get stressed out just seeing it. Parking spaces or the freeway, it has margin on both sides to where if we don't stay straight in our lane, if we don't at least we have a little give, a little space on our sides. Imagine if our freeways did not, it was only enough space for our car to fit. Someone sneezes, literally, one person sneezes and we're all out. And it, I did that the other week, but anyways, we'll get to that later. If you saw, I did get in an accident. <clears throat> but it's not for the lack of margin. Margins are good things in our lives and we have to have them. We all have limits. We have limits in our relationships. We have limits in our time. We have limits... Um, in our money, but we're constantly pushing that limit at the edge of the book. And then when one thing goes wrong, we're just like, Phew! blow up at someone, yell at the person that's going slow in front of you, upset that you're having to wait in a line because you didn't get there 10 minutes early. That's what margin looks like, and that's what we're talking about today. Um, I am not a slow person. So I think the irony of me preaching on this is hilarious. <laughs> um, I actually said I would do it. Um, it was, I had an option, I had an opt-out moment, and I chose to go ahead and take it. And Dr. Dan has great teaching on Sabbath, and my dad has great teaching on margin. And mine, uh, well, at least one day, is slowing down. <laughs> and I just was looking at this like, I don't function this way. And here I am about to have to preach on something that I literally cannot, I don't do it. And I kept putting it off because, what, Lord, how am I supposed to do something that I can't figure out? And thankfully, in the last week and a half, he's really worked on me good. But I went up, I thought it was funny because I went up to Flagstaff to preach a few weeks ago and they asked me what I have in my, uh, in my, in my drink. They said, that cannot be water. And I said, it's water, I promise. He said, it has got to be Red Bull. And I'm like, no. They're like, girl, you talk a lot, you talk fast, and you talk loud. And I was like, yeah, I promise you, unless Jesus is turning it into Red Bull by the time I drink it, it's water. And I seriously, I don't know, I talk fast and I talk a lot, but it's not a matter of changing my personality to teach you on how to slow down. It's a matter of my heart condition and when I'm speaking. You can go quickly into something, but have a slow spirit about you. He taught me that. My life, there's been a lot of great things in my life, and you'd say, okay, well, she's single, she doesn't have a family, she doesn't have kids, so she doesn't even get that. Well, the reality is, is we're all in different places, but 
the Lord um, has given me so many blessings lately, so many blessings, being able to teach at different places. Um, I signed on my first house, and all I could think of was like, Lord, like I know these are all good, but I just can't even enjoy them. Like, I'm not enjoying any of this because I'm going from one thing to the next thing, to the coffee, to the, to the work, to... These blessings turned into burdens. And I kept asking the Lord, why? I want to enjoy this thing. And he told me, Allie, and this changed it all for me, he said, why are you complaining about the things you've been asking me for? that's a truth bomb for you. (laughs) First thing in the morning, I was like, okay, Lord. And it's that matter of seeing the things that we tend to carry as burdens, as gifts, and then pushing aside the things that shouldn't be in our lives and getting rid of them. And that's what we're going for today. And and we're all been there. But luckily, this isn't the first time that it's happened in history. Yes, we've had more technology in the last 30 years. I'm 29, so I don't know another life than this. Don't tell me I'm almost 30. Unless it's November 5th, day before I turn 30, and then otherwise. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going back to Elijah. He's a prophet, and it's in 1 Kings, and we're going to get there in a moment. But what I realize is, thankfully, these things are not new. There's nothing new under the sun, and we can look to Scripture to help us figure out what do we do when our our blessings turn to burdens, when we're exhausted and we have no room to breathe. And Elijah gets to this point where he's exhausted. We're going to go into 1 Kings 19 if you want to go ahead and turn there. A little bit of background in 18. He just performed two of these great miracles, okay? He goes up to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and he tells them, your land is about to experience drought. I mean, who would want to hear that? No one. And he leaves because Queen Jezebel is so upset that she calls um, them to slaughter all the Lord's prophets. And here we are. Elijah runs. He's the only prophet left, even though we find out later there's some that have been hiding. And the Lord tells him to go back into the land and tell them that rain is coming. And he goes back to King Ahab and he says, the rain, the rains are coming. Um, But in the meantime, your prophet Baals, I'd like to meet them out on the mountain and we're going to have a God off. God versus Baal. We're going to see who wins here. So 450 prophets of Baal set up this altar next to Elijah's altar the only lone prophet of the Lord. And they said, Who, whoever comes down, their God that brings down the fire to consume the offering is the God that we will serve. So it's time to make that decision. So the, Baal, um, the prophets of Baal, they dance around, they call out to the Lord, or to their God, and it says, there's no response, no reply, nothing, just silence. And Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. He calls on the Lord and asks, them, asks him to prove that he is God and that he is his servant. And fire comes down immediately and consumes the whole offering, the altar, the stones, the dust, the water that he poured on it before the fire came. It consumes it all. And then right from there, the people fall down and they start worshiping the one true God. And Elijah slaughters 450 prophets. Okay? He goes and he slaughters 450 prophets of Baal. He goes up to Mount Carmel right after that. And he prays for the rain to come. There's not a cloud in the sky. He prays seven times. And his servant sees a cloud the size of a man's hand over the sea. And rain comes in and starts pouring. In one day, and in one story, God 
is a God of miracles of fire, and he brings down the rain through his prophet Elijah. And this is where we meet him. He's running back to King Ahab. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Here we go. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent, his, sent this message to Elijah. May the God, the God strike me down and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. So you're telling me the prophet who just saw fire from the sky fall down and consume the offering and just saw rain fall down from the sky when there was not one in sight fled from a queen who just goes, I will kill you. (laughs) He runs, he flees, he's so afraid. And he doesn't, he leaves and he says that um, he leaves his servant there in Beersheba. He goes by himself. So why? Why would a prophet who just experienced God in such a magnificent way be so afraid? Fear grips him so quickly. It doesn't say that he stopped and prayed or talked to the Lord. No, he, he was afraid and he fled. He was in such a hurry. He left quickly. Because hurry is fear-based. Hurry is fear-based. James Bryan Smith, in the book that we're um, doing, he calls this hurry sickness. We live in a culture of hurry sickness. we got to do everything we can, all the time that we can, and what happens is, is we barely get most of it done. We live in a world full of anxiety, depression, um, boredom, short, intention, short attention spans. He says something about a squirrel being on three shots of espresso. You know, like, We're all like that. We can only handle this amount of time. We can't sit there and be still for long enough. We can't sit through a message that's 45 minutes. Just kidding. I just said that just because I'm up here. But it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to sit still. We all admit it because we have phones that distract us. We're always in a hurry. We need to text somebody back. We need the email back. We're expecting it back right now. And then we put expectations on other people to hurry up, just like the sloth in Zootopia. If I'm in a hurry, you better be in a hurry. If I have a question, you better give me an answer. This hurry sickness is the number one spiritual sickness, James Bryant Smith goes on to say, because our souls are made to go. Jeremy Rifkin writes this. He says, We are a nation in love with speed. We drive fast, eat fast, make love fast. We are obsessed with breaking records and shortening time spans. We digest our life, condense our experiences, and compress our thoughts. We are a culture surrounded by memos, commercials, and commercials. While other cultures might believe that haste makes waste, we are convinced that speed reflects alertness, power, and success. Americans are always in a hurry. Is that true? I believe he's right. And, and we're, as we're moving faster, we're enjoying life less. Have you experienced this? This speed in and of itself is not actually a bad thing. 
but our love for speed is. We're replacing this love for speed as thinking that we're getting all these things done. And this creates this fear of like, if I stop, if I stop and I don't continue working and I don't continue being productive and take time for my family or take time to go on that vacation or take time by myself or take time to serve somewhere else in the community or at the church, if I take time to do that, I'm losing out on something else. If I don't stop long enough, then somehow I'm not going to be advancing anymore. And we live in this culture of success and power and alertness making you think that you are successful. That's where success lies. But it is the biggest lie that we face. Um, For example, about that car accident, (laughs) Uh, I was in a car accident a couple weeks ago, and the reality is I had a day off, and I was moving slow most of the day, but um, I was letting my mom borrow the car, the other car, and I was trying to clean it out before I gave it to her. So I'm driving and cleaning out the car when I should have just waited till I got there to like move it, right? Um, So what happened was, is I saw a Starbucks card. Thank you, Gina. Um, Am I blaming you? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So I saw the Starbucks card, and I put it into the arm console that lifts up, and I dropped it in, and I shut it, and as soon as I shut it, looked up two seconds, hit the truck in front of me. Now, you can't tell me that being in a hurry actually saves time. If I would have waited till I got there, I would have saved a lot of time and moolah, okay? I, <laughs> I wasted time on the, I um, had time on the side of the road whenever we were trying to figure out all the information. I had to drive 35 miles an hour because my hood was like literally roped down and I, if I go over 35, it like popped up. And <laughs> um, I, the money that I spent, that I haven't yet, I'm sure it will be coming, uh, <laughs> uh, but my car can't be driven, their car's technically totaled because the hitch went down, and I mean, all because I was trying to keep clean, make time and be in a hurry to try and save myself time for later. I would have saved myself time and money if I just would have waited. And Elijah experiences the same thing. And on, at the same time, he's fleeing, he's running, and he's so afraid that he, he leaves his servant. And I don't think that this should be missed because so often when we're in a hurry and we're trying to get somewhere just as fast as we can or we're, we're chasing after success and productivity, we push people out. We leave people aside because we are on a mission and they just don't get it. They don't understand the weight that we're carrying. They don't understand the responsibility that we have or, or maybe they do understand but they're going to slow me down. I don't know if it doesn't make him his servant anymore. Maybe they met up later. But at the same time, he pushed him aside. He said, you know what? I'm just going to do this on my own. So in the middle of hurry and being quick to move because we're afraid of something or we're fear of missing out on something, we push the relationships aside trying to make a way. We find ourselves lonely, missing out on relationships. That is, I think that a lot of the depression that we're facing today is because we're on our phones and not actually spending time with the people that are around us. Or watching TV, <laughs> or on the internet, or something, but we're not actually investing in the relationships, and God made us for relationships, but relationships take time, and we don't like things that take too long. 
We're putting up walls, we're pushing people out, and ultimately fear amplifies self while simultaneously minimizing God. And we start to push people out, put walls up, because we can just do this on our own. We just have to put our head down and do what we got to do until we die. Does that sound miserable? But that's how a lot of us are living, myself included. Let's jump back in, verse 4. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. Traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He just left Jezreel because Jezebel was threatening to kill him and he was afraid of dying. And now we find him alone in the desert under the broom tree saying, Lord, take me, I want to die. Is that gonna look a little confusing? He's just running for his life because he didn't want to die and now he's finally on his own and now he wants to die. But I would say that it's not the matter that he wants to die. <laughs> he's so confused because he's so exhausted. He is so exhausted. And we'll get into that in a moment, but haven't, haven't you ever been there? We're just like, Lord, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm not going to take my life, but like, can you please take it? You know, like, am I allowed to ask this? You know, I have done it. I've shared with you guys before. I've literally gave, given God a 10-second countdown in my life. Where at number one, he was going to take me. <laughs> I was like, I just can't handle it. And it's nothing that Elijah was doing, but these are the weights and the realities that we feel. So we find Elijah saying, I just can't do this anymore. The lack of margin and rest. So he did these two miracles. He runs all the way, super powered if you read it, all the way to Jezreel to go see if Ahab and, and um, Jezebel just might be turning their lives to the Lord. To be there. But he doesn't, when he gets that threat and that message, he doesn't stop. He doesn't pray. He doesn't think through, or at least it doesn't say that he has. I'd be just going off of what, he, what I'm reading here. And, and he's just so exhausted, the lack of margin and rest, because he poured himself out for all of these wonderful things. Because most of us are pouring ourselves into wonderful things. That his fears were maximized. And his faith was minimized. He didn't think about what God could do in the moment because he was, so, he was so tired from running and doing all of these things that all he could see was the little thing in front of him that seemed so massive that he couldn't see God saying like, hello. How many parents feel this way sometimes? You're just exhausted. You're exhausted from going on and on in leaders, in business, and ministry burnout. These things keep happening. We feel the weight, and I think Elijah felt the weight of his responsibility of being the only prophet that was left, and he felt the weight of carrying Israel, and he's like, Lord, I just can't do that, and so many leaders and parents are thinking, I have to carry my children, and I have to carry my ministry, and I have to carry my business, and God's saying, no, 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 you don't carry that, I carry that, you serve that. You serve that. You let them come alongside and you hold their hand. You let them look to you for and as an example. 
but you are not their savior. I am. The control that we have. We want to control our kids. We want to control where our ministry and how big it is. Or we, we want to control our businesses, our friends, uh, our other friends' schedules. Our significant other. That's frustrating. <laughs> That control is driving us to anxiety and weariness. And God's saying, no, you don't carry that. I carry it. And you serve that. We have to have time boundaries. We have to have money boundaries. We have to have these things. And yes, we have to work. It's a joy to work. It should be. Working was part of the deal before the fall. (laughs) But it's that work and rest rhythm that we have got to figure out. But how do we do this? You don't quit everything, but how do we know? How, do, how can we regain this strength? When we feel like we're stuck in the desert, under a shade of a broom tree, crying out to God to take our lives. First Kings, let's go to verses 5 through 8. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead of you will be too much. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Are you guys ready for the best thing that you've learned all week? You ready? You know what is required of us for our rest? Sleep, eat, drink, exercise. Repeat. The angel came in and he said, get up. You're sleeping. Get up and eat. Eat this bread, the bread of life, as I want to symbolize some things in here. Eat and eat this bread. Drink this water. Go back to sleep. Get up, eat, drink. Now let's walk. And then he got to the cave and he went back to sleep. He walked in between this, okay? So we, I know it sounds so simple in our overcomplicated world. And you're like, Allie, why didn't you tell us 25 minutes ago when you started? Like we could have been out of here. We could have actually had margin in our day. We could have gone to brunch. Done. <laughs> I get it. It seems so ridiculous, okay? And I actually think that's why it's funny because this is, this is biblical. This is what he's telling him to do. You're so exhausted. Sleep, eat, drink, exercise, repeat. <laughs> I know I'm just the best, really. Just so profound in this, this, this life. No, I'm kidding. But the thing is, is that we do overcomplicate these things all the time. And we wonder what the Lord is saying and what are his promises and what is his character. He gives us his word to read. We're wondering why Jesus, where he is and and why aren't we getting answers and, and where is his presence? I can't feel his presence, but he says to pray. We're wondering why we can't get through this life without feeling hurried and quick and all over the place. And he's saying rest, sleep, eat, drink, exercise. Walk with me. Repeat. We get so distracted. We make things so overcomplicated, and this is exactly where the enemy wants you. 
In our world that is fast-paced, this is exactly where he wants us, going so fast, so busy, so hurried, that we are full of fear of letting someone down, not making enough money, not being able to meet someone else's expectations or the expectations we put on ourselves, that we become so exhausted that we can't even feel the presence of God anymore. Or maybe we've never experienced it in the first place. And that's not condemnation, but this is what's going on. I'm showing the devil's hand to you this morning. He wants you distracted. He's coming after your faith. Because if you can look at those fears long enough, you're not remembering those things that build your faith that you believe. Those things that you believe in. He wants you to be so distracted of why am I not getting this big, huge signal from God? that you wonder if he's even real. He wants you right there, distracted, exhausted, fearful. But we've got good news. <laughs> After Elijah goes out in the cave, the Lord says, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's a funny funny question for the first time he's actually talking to him. After crying out to him for so long and walking, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he tells them why he's there. And God says, go out there and um, go out there in my presence. And so God sends his mighty windstorms and rock falls everywhere. But God's not in the wind. God sends an earthquake, but God's not in the earthquake. God sends fire, but God is not in the fire. But you know what he sends? You know, I like participation. The whisper. A gentle whisper. I love that. I've never really understood in the, in the translation that I was reading, it says the gentle whisper of God. I don't think Elijah could have handled the other things at that moment. He's been walking and wondering where God is, and he's been looking for fire. He's already seen fire and rain. But God comes up, and he knew what Elijah needed. He needed the gentle the gentleness of who God is. God is powerful, and he is creative, and he can send fire, and he can send rain, but oh, he can give you a great hug. <gasps> that gentleness that we all need, and yet sometimes, some reason, we're not willing to admit to that vulnerability of saying we just need that, Lord, and that's where he met him, and he asked him again, Elijah, what are you doing here? Because Elijah was not supposed to be there. But he said, Elijah, get back up and go back the way you came. <laughs> and get back to work anointing the kings that I've called you to do. He didn't take away his purpose. He didn't take away these things. So it's not like it, we're missing out on something, but he did take time in the desert that was unnecessary. You know what I mean? But he ministered to Elijah. He came alongside him and said, what are you doing here, bud? Let's go get back to work. I was wondering why this chapter came at this point in the book. I don't know if you guys um, know, but this is the book that we've been going through, The Good and Beautiful God, and I was wondering why does slowing down come after all of the attributes of God? I mean, this is kind of interesting that it's not another attribute of God or, or whatever, but I realized that if we cannot sit still long enough and we can't slow down long enough to know who God is, that he is good, trustworthy, generous, loving, holy, self-sacrificing, and transformative, then we won't be able to get it. 
we have to slow down to be able to see all that he is. We have to marinate in the fact that he is good because sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But we go back to scripture and we go back to our faith and say, what does this say? Sometimes it doesn't feel like he's loving. But if we have this as a basis and we sit for long enough and let him minister to us, he will show you that he is. We have to take time to slow down. So if hurry is fear-based, then rest is faith-based. To take a rest in life, to slow down in life, we have to have faith that we're not missing out on something or that if we do that, the Lord and his goodness will help us and take care of it. The other day I was um, at, uh, I had on my schedule to go to a breakfast and I'm like, God, I can't go to this breakfast. I have to make, I have to do my sermon. I don't even like, and you know what he told me? He said, Allie, you keep your word and I'll maximize your time. We have to rest in the fact that if we give our word, that the Lord will honor us for living and, and walking in that. We have, I understand there's times to get out of things. We were so noncommittal in this world, and I don't think always that it's the fact that we're afraid of commitment. I think it's just because we're exhausted and we don't know how we're going to feel that day. So we don't commit in advance because we don't want to let them down, so then we're never committing. But the fact is, if we say something, then our word is supposed to mean something. As Christians, our words should mean something. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's a, it's a matter of integrity. And the Lord, if we rest in that, and we give up our time to serve someone else, you know what happened? God ministered to me through that person. He maximized my time. And if hurry is our sickness, then rest is our cure. And oh, wow, do we need healing. <laughs> we need emotional healing from scars that happened in the past, from relationships, the things that have been done to us, the things that are happening right now, the, the, the problems that we're working through, financial healing, through intellectual healing. Our brains go off on all other things, and yet we we're, have such anxiety and feeling overwhelmed. We need healing. We need to stop long enough. But how do we get healing? By humbling ourselves and taking our focus off of the problem at hand or ourselves long enough to see the bigger picture. Um, a while back, I was really sick, and um, I went to the doctor, and he told me that I was like social anxiety overload, and I said, I know, trust me, I'm like, like this all the time, and I never feel like I calm down. And he said, you, he's like, you know what you need to do? After telling me I have gallstones and whatnot, he's like, you know what you need to do? Yoga. He told me yoga. I'm like, seriously? I mean, I need the prescription. I need something to heal these things. I need surgery. I need something. And he's like, okay, well, if you don't do yoga, are you at least a praying person? Because that would really help you. I mean, that's not a dagger. It doesn't, he didn't know I was a Christian, but he just said, if you're a praying person, that would really help you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't been praying about these things. I've been complaining about them. I've been telling the Lord all the things that are going on, but I'm not sitting here praying and wondering, Lord, how can you heal me? I, haven't, I have ailments because of my anxiety. I'm coming from a place of understanding, not just what mom, momentary anxiety is, but like 
the long term. And yet I find healing when I'm in prayer and in the presence of God, but I have to stop long enough and be disciplined long enough to experience it. Second Chronicles says, 7.14 declares, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will turn from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. If indicates that there is a choice. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If you're seeking God's face, you can't be looking where the wicked ways are. Then he will hear from heaven and and forgive us. Forgiveness is a part of healing. Repentance is a part of healing. Isaiah Isaiah 30, I could be wrong, somewhere in there, it says that repentance and rest is your salvation. Repentance and rest is your salvation. This is a part of it. He'll forgive our sins and heal our land. And does our land need healing? America, racial injustices, denominational divides, political upheaval, slandering others, especially through social media, which you would never say to their face. Our relationships are broken from every which way. We need healing, and it's, we get to be a part of the solution. Now I know why you guys don't sit so close. I spit everywhere. <sighs> Thanks, Jeff. We're part of the solution, but we have to make margin enough, time enough, and slow down enough to learn how to have compassion for the people around us. Because we won't have the space to have compassion for someone who might not agree with us if we're always in a hurry and just need to say the things that we think that we need to say and then leave. It takes time to sit across the table to work through some problems. It takes time to sit at a table to say, can you at least just tell me where you're coming from even if we both know we're never going to agree? Because what happens is, is you humble yourself and you can listen to what someone, where they're coming from. It creates healing. Even if it doesn't equal agreement, it creates healing. And we need healing. The best moments of our lives happen in the margins. And Jesus proved this. He would get away to pray. When the disciples were going crazy saying, we need to heal everybody. And they come to Jesus, he just goes, okay, let's go. Because he's already spent time in prayer. He wasn't freaked out when they were freaked out. He didn't let somebody else's hurry put on them. He got away to pray. And even whenever that cup was in his hand, and he's like, Lord, not my will, but yours, but if you can. But he still walked to the cross. He had a choice to see the bigger picture, and he did. Hallelujah, he did. He chose to take each step of his life. He woke up every day having, he knew the cross light before him. We don't have that. It's already been done for us. And he kept walking and he made that choice. We have a choice every day to live in the victory and the freedom that has already been won for you. It is our responsibility to humble ourselves and say, Lord, how can we give this to other people? This hope and this healing, how can we give it to other people? Elijah had a choice, and it took him in a roundabout way, but God didn't take away what was going on. But he realized the priorities of what he needed to do, and Jesus had a choice. We have a choice if we humble ourselves. And I'm thoroughly convinced that our lack of margin and rest in our fast-paced world lends directly to our fears being maximized and our faith being minimized. 
I know you're probably wondering why, if I'm giving you any handles on this today, and the answer is, well, here's a book. <laughs> How do we slow down? How do we do these things? You can read this book, but what I'm trying to give you today is the cure to the part of the problem. We don't slow down long enough to hear what the Lord's trying to say to us. Because your schedule is going to look different from her schedule, it's going to look different from his schedule, and I can't tell you all the things you have to do to get your life right. But I'll tell you one thing. When you have Jesus in your life, he creates a peace about this. He went and he walked and he was never hurried. He did a lot of things, but he did it in rhythm and in slowness and whatever he needed to do and what the Father said. He was constantly in the presence of the Father. The enemy is after your faith and he uses all of these things to distract you. You know what I, the band can come up. You know what I tend to think of is when people are really overwhelmed um, and I see them in life, I kind of think of like, like, uh, with those backpacker backpacks where they're like really big and they're just like trudging. And you can see it on people. Like I, I feel like I, I just told somebody that the other day, I'm like, I feel like they just have this massive backpack on. And I'm like, can I help you take some of that stuff out? Like I want to like reach in and help them. <laughs> But that's kind of what we do. We're, we walk around with this backpack full of stuff that's not meant for us to carry. And yesterday, I asked people to share with me some of their fears, and they were gracious enough to share what kind of fears that they face and um, what keeps them from having quiet time. And these are some of the things that I hear. Fear of disappointing people around me that I can't live up to the expectations. Failing as a parent or being judged for the way that I parent, failing as a husband, a wife, a child. Feeling like I'm not good enough, that I'm not doing enough. Fear that at my age I've lost any impact, legacy of faith or commitment from my family members. That I'll miss hearing God when he speaks to me. People are afraid of rejection and abandonment, of death and illness and pain. These are real things. Fear of changes, shame, guilt. And you know what? People are afraid to get alone with God. And they, this is what other people wrote to me. Because they're afraid that one, he might not answer them. Or two, he might actually tell them what they need to do and they're going to have to make change and they don't want to do it and they don't have time for it. You know what I find interesting too is the fact that when people actually sent me both their fear and what keeps them from having alone time, I thought, I was praying over these last night and the Lord showed me something. A lot of people's fear actually line up directly with the thing that's keeping them from slowing down. I didn't ask knowing that. I did not ask knowing that. So people who are really afraid of disappointing other people, they spend all of their time with other people making sure that they're meeting everybody and going to coffee and going to lunch and doing these things because they're afraid of disappointing people so all their time is spent trying to please people. They're afraid that they're not going to be successful, so they're always going um, to, to work and staying late and doing all these things to make sure that they're considered successful. But that's why they don't have margin with their family. And the other one was, 
I'm afraid that I'm not living up to my God-given potential. And then when they said, what's the thing that's keeping you from resting? They said, my phone, watching TV, thinking I'll only watch for 20 minutes and then watching for two hours, sometimes longer. But they're afraid that they're gonna miss their potential, but they spend their time doing this. Isn't that crazy? These two questions that don't seem like they go together actually lend exactly to the problem. Your fears are gonna take up so much of your time that you don't slow down enough to see the people around you, to live this life with joy, even in your work, even in your work. So what I ask you today, what are those things that you're just carrying around and it's getting so heavy? Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, are you tired and worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life and I will give you rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I won't learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. If you have something heavy on you, it is not from him, it's from his mouth. He said these things. He wants to help you carry these things. But sometimes we got to take rocks out and decide, you know what, this fear of disappointing other people, I can't seek their approval anymore. This burden of people in my life, I need to take this out of my backpack and put it back in my hands as the gift that it was given to me to be. Some need to stay and be put in front of you. How can I serve? And other things need to take out. Even relationships sometimes have to be taken out and thrown to the ground. But seek his wisdom on it. What are these rocks in your life that are weighing you down? The fears, the things that are keeping you from slowing down with the Lord. I'm just going to ask you to take a moment, and the altars are open as always, but you don't have to. You can sit at your seat, or you can do this later. But there's something about posturing about humbling yourself on your knees before God or before whatever if you're not a believer because Jesus has come to give you life and if you don't know who he is, I'm telling you, I have tried everything else and it doesn't work. I was exhausted and lonely and wanted to take my life but when I finally said yes to Jesus, it changes everything and I can give you scripture after scripture but what I can tell you for a fact is I've experienced it. It has been true to me in my life, but it takes a humbling saying, not my will, but your will. Not my way, Lord, but your way. This thing is weighing heavy on me, Lord. Help, help me. What are those things? And if you guys can all stand with me, and if you want to sit and think and have the Lord allow to work in your spirit what these things could be holding you back, or if you want to come to the altars or or do it later today, it doesn't matter but he wants to take them from you. (laughs) He wants to take them from you. So as we sing, come and lay them at the feet of Jesus, that ointment that has been poured out, everything that you have, and be still in his presence and let him give you rest.